Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. All right. I, I don't... This kind of works sometimes on the cell phone. Sometimes it doesn't. You get too much of my breathing, too. So... Um, we have a Patreon account, and a long time ago, a patron requested a podcast on my recommendation of four to six hours of training per day. And basically, it was all for real. Okay, so we're going to go into that, but I would like to tie it into some of the things that I see you guys um, struggling with and how this actually works in your overall practice okay again you might hear there might be some of you uh, obviously there is that would rather work out you know instead of listening to this podcast um, but you're not working out enough anyway so it doesn't matter if you'd not have another day Okay, and you're probably better off correcting your mindset so that you could get yourself in the ballpark of actual potentiality for learning the art. Okay. Um, also, it's a it's it's a long, slow process learning the art and coming to understand it, and it's that way because we are just resistant a holes. Okay. Uh, we see the world through what reifies our ego, and the art is about a reconciliation of ego. Guess, guess what? That's not going to be a quick fix. Okay. Just like we've had, I remember I read one review on the podcast, and it's like, oh God, it takes forever. God, can't you just get to the point? It's like, dude, this isn't for you. This is not for you. You need 10-minute abs. Go watch that, that channel on YouTube, right? This is the deep dive, okay? Because there is no shallow dive. There's no shallow dive to the art. At any point, if you have any questions on fitness, what we're talking about, I want to tailor this to you, even though it is for a patron, okay? Just raise your hand. You're not interrupting me. It's a conversation, okay? Um, four to six hours of training a day functions in many, many ways than you might initially think. Just like everything in your practice, there's a concentricness to it. So it does the same thing here and the same thing over here in your, this aspect of your life. And in this aspect of your life, it does the same thing. And it goes on and on like that. And it's precisely that reason why you have a difficulty with it. 
because that aspect of your life, you're not willing to stop having it reify your ego. That's what's happening. If you look at some, just throwing out some general understandings of the martial art of Aikido, okay? Historically, every sport that you would think about can find its origins in either the hunt of animals or the hunt of men, combat. Every sport you have is an abstraction of that skill as it goes on and on. That would mean human v. human violence or combat is the ultimate sport. And you can see that in that it involves all of your body, all of your mind, uh, every aspect of your physicality. There's, there's nothing um, that you can leave off the table. So, for example, chess is a far abstraction from those early uh, sport realities or those early, going even back more, those early combat realities. And so, yeah, it involves your mind, but you get to sit in a chair. Do you see that? Your Aikido, your combat training, it doesn't get to do that. There's no, you're not sitting in a chair. Your body and all of your body is involved, okay? You take golf, for example, you don't have to change levels. It doesn't, you got your eye-hand coordination, you got the ability to put maximum effort in a lever like a club or a sword, do you see that? But it doesn't really affect greatly your ability to change levels and so it doesn't really bring into play your knee bend, things like that, but your art being one of the original reasons for sport, you're going to have to be able to change levels. Okay? Other sports, you don't have to carry loads, for example. You just have to move your person around. right? So you take like rock climbing. It's just your weight. Okay? But combat, you got to have your weight plus your opponent's weight. Okay? Do you see that? So, you, in a way, if you want to, just for the sake of argument here, see your Aikido as a kind of sport, it's the original sport. And it is marked by this overallness, okay? As I look at you guys uh, today, you're struggling with this. So, this talk is timely. But if you look at these sports, you tend to see in people that want to win their sport, um, they're somewhere in this ballpark, especially sports of our nature that have a strength component to it. Okay? As I said, some sports do not have a, as great a strength component to it um, or not this overall body component to it. But in sports where there is a strength component to it and an overall body component to it, you're going to see that the athlete that is nationally ranked or internationally ranked is somewhere in that four to six hours of training per day. You're not 
it, you're not going to be nationally ranked without that. Why do I mention this rank, the national rank? Well, it's kind of like an assessment tool. Are you um, able to compete at that level, yes or no? If it's yes, more likely than not, you totally understand your sport, just in the default that there's more people that you would blow away, so we would say you understand your sport more than people, all this majority of people who don't. Okay? And then colloquially, we call them their hobbyists, do you see? So you take, for example, a major league baseball player. That's a total, they're, they're an elite compared to the majority of people who are not in major league baseball. Do, do you understand this? So they understand things about how to get maximum power out of the bat. Um, their eye-hand coordination is at a much higher level where it is more repeatable. Uh, they make less errors, things like that compared to somebody who's doing like a, a softball league, you know, where you, you, you go play, the ball is bigger, and it's probably more about the pizza and beer after the game than it is about winning, do you see? There's a social component to it. So some inserts here just so the listeners know and to make sure that you guys know, I'm not talking out my ass here. Okay, so as a younger man, and first of all, I'm 55, or 56, I can't remember, okay, but um, I'm going to come back to that point, because some of you are, are dealing with your 30s and 40s now, okay, so I, I think I'm 56, I am, okay, <laughs> my son said I'm 56, Okay, uh, and then as a young man, I was nationally ranked uh, in an Olympic hopeful in two different sports. So I went to the Olympic training camp, and I got trained by all those people. And it was at a time at the birth of sports medicine and sports psychology, uh, and all that has been brought into what you guys are receiving as the benefits of being a member of this dojo. Okay, so. I saw that firsthand, and I used it firsthand, uh, that you're not going to be in the ballpark if you're not somewhere in this four to six hours. Why not seven or eight? Well, there's a, a diminishing return that you learn, okay? Uh, you, you'll start seeing a number of injuries, which now you've got to take days off to heal, or uh, you just see your body starts eating itself because it needs more energy. Uh, so you'll see like greater levels of fatigue and then your immune system gets compromised and you're getting sick all the time and then your overall training volume goes down and you'll start to see it in performance because you're, the athlete next to you is, has a greater training volume and they're beating you. So you just kind of learn empirically and everyone does. It's around four to six, okay? I imagine there's those outliers. There's always those outliers, right? There's some dude that can do it with three, and there's some dude that can do it with eight, but you're always in that ballpark. What you don't see is what's common to martial arts training today, which is like, you know, three to four hours a week. Do you see that? Like, no, you don't. It's not going to happen. You're trying to do the apex sport, the original sport, with a commitment that is even lower 
then the softball league uh, pizza and beer dude. Do you get it? So it's not going to happen. Just take what you can out of it, which is nothing. Let's be honest, okay? Maybe some friendships. You know what I mean? You're like, you're, you're just not. It's not going to happen. Accept it. Okay? Um, it's in that four to six hours. Well, remember, let's put that on the side for now. Where did it come from? Why is it relevant? Okay? This four to six hours training in our dojo is inserted or part of what we call the four disciplines. Okay? Your practice at Ascension Center is not made up solely of just doing techniques, just doing kihon waza. To me, that is not a practice. That is a bastardization of budo. It, it is a bastardization that has come about as a result of consumerism. You have what originally was a way, meaning a, a body-mind spiritual practice that has been packaged and commodified and in order to sell it to you. And so you pay your dues, you pay your belt fees, you pay your membership fees, uh, you pay your seminar fees, uh, all of that kind of bullshit. Um, and it just fits into the consumerism model. And it all makes sense to you because you're a modern and so you're a consumer. All right. The idea that, uh, yeah, go, go ahead and uh, pay your membership. Uh, and um, please recognize that in all likelihood you will never learn this which is what I told you yesterday. It's the opposite of a consumer model. Just like, as I said, if you go to the gap, you put your shirt on, the, you pick your shirt out, you put it on the counter and you pay and the clerk never gives it to you and you go, can I have the shirt? And I go, maybe, I don't know. Uh, you would freak the F out. Well, that is exactly what Aikido is like, okay? As a true Aikido. You might get it, but you probably won't get it for reasons I already mentioned. You're not doing it enough, and I'll go into that in a little bit. So these four disciplines are your sleep, your sleep hygiene. And we have other podcasts on the four disciplines, so you can review them there. Sleep hygiene, your nutrition, fitness, that's where this fits in. But you'll see these overlap greatly. And then you have your worldview, and that's all kinds of things. Together, these four things make this not just exercising and take you out of the consumer model. So, for example, if you... Do not make a practice out of your food intake, your nutrition. You will have separated yourself from centuries of spiritual training that have always, in a way, made a problem out of food. There are several reasons for this. I'm going to mention the ones not not commonly understood because you might be thinking, um, 
only in terms of health benefits. But I'm telling you, previous generations of people that made a problem out of food intake were not trying to look good in a bikini, okay? There is, for lack of a better word, an alchemical gravity between food intake and materiality. If you want, for example, if you go into some sort of deep ascetic practice or uh, a deep mystical state, if you want to get out of it, uh, go get a double-double at In-N-Out. It'll take you right out of it. So, for example, you're doing a Zen session. They're not serving any old food. They're serving food that is the result of a food wisdom in that it makes you more prone to being less materialistic in terms of your own body and your attachment to the world. There's also a cultural aspect to it. This world here, I mean, we have the word foodie, right? If you look at your culture's relationship with food, it's based in what previous generations would call pride, gluttony, excess. Do you see? You can look at it socially, too. Who has the ability to participate in foodie culture? The wealthy. Do you see? It's not like you see the poor people, you know, taking pictures of their food and posting it online. And strange things happen of this, too, because... um, you know, the, the poor have become a kind of uh, exotic other, the way that Native Americans wore or people from East Asia wore in, in Orientalism, which is still happening today in Aikido, right? Uh, many Aikido, Aikidoka in the West uh, give about an extra 10 to 20 points in credibility to the Japanese sensei than to the non-Japanese sensei. Right? I've had people uh, ask me, they, they're contacting me online, and they'll go like, hey, do you know a Japanese instructor that teaches Aikido? It's like, why are you contacting me about it? Because somehow I was authority enough, but not authority enough. Do you see that? I was authority enough to tell them where the Japanese teacher was so they could go get it. And again, this is part of that demographic, right? The same woke demographic has their views about uh, a black American, uh, a Hispanic American. They got, they're all based in the exotic other. It's a, it's a deep anthropological truth. It's been studied a long time ago. Uh, they have crazy views of these minorities uh, because they're so isolated from it. Again, it's asinine to give those 20 extra points of credit. They don't generally, and by generally, I mean like 99%. It's more like a mathematical possibility. I'm not saying, I haven't seen it. 
okay? Especially in the current Japanese air quotes masters. They don't have the internal skills and they don't have professional ends. And so they're not martial and they're not technical. But yet, Gaijin round eyes are constantly affording that extra cred. Okay? So culturally, socially, you'll see the same thing with food. So like, let's say you get like uh, what was essentially a poor person's food, uh, a cardinal sada uh, taco. You would make the tortilla yourself out of corn dust. And uh, it was the cheapest cut of meat and you had to marinate it to even get it to be but now you'll pay 20 bucks for some freaking carne asada tacos, you know? It's like, this is just crazy. Oxtail stew. It's like, that's the part of the animal no one wanted to eat. It now cost a fortune. And you'll go to a restaurant and it'll be served in, you know, these crazy dishware. It's just insane. But all of that insanity, do you see, comes through food intake. You can look at it hormonally, too, chemically. We, I have given to you several references on the relationship between sugar, carbohydrates, and dopamine and its relationship to the modern Western's addiction problem. All that is egocentric. All that is ego-reifying. Because your addiction problems are fear-based. And your fear is always ego-reifying. And so simply by making a problem out of your food, meaning simply by reinserting your food intake back into historical ways of eating, you get all of this. You get out of the addiction cycle. You get your materiality put in check. You get beyond your ethnocentricity. And you're like, wow, I just wanted to look good in my, I just wanted those jeans to fit me still. No, that's not what we do. And equally, the same thing goes into four to six hours, you're going to see. It's not just about four to six hours of working out so I could win. With this, these four disciplines that make up your practice and move your art beyond just the consumerism of packaged techniques, you now are in the ballpark for gaining what I have defined as the three marks of Aikido. You have the mystical experience, you have the internal aspects, and then you have the spontaneous application of the art. To this, which we haven't hit on for a while, but I'll put this, to this we add another underlying practice that makes this not training in techniques. And that is that underneath the four disciplines, underneath your 
Kihon Waza training and everything else we do here. And underneath the seeking and the acquiring of those three distinct marks of Aikido is one core practice. And if you're not doing it, you're not doing this art. And this is the practice of service. Now, you've heard this before, but let's imagine you didn't. You just have to look at my life. If the teacher is the model, then you should be looking at the model, and you should be trying to observe accurately what you're seeing. And what you'll see is going throughout every minute of every day is service. Not me, 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 me. It's the opposite. It's service over self. Again, not how the dominant demographic in Aikido in the West is known. They're the opposite. It's very egocentric. But again, by adopting a life of service, you will have reconnected yourself with past centuries of the way and how it is practiced. The idea that you just show up to a building and work out and getting it, that's a new thing. Across the globe, you live the life of service over self. That means you sacrifice your desires, your wants, your welfare up to and including your life for others. When, once you understand these four disciplines and this overall supporting practice of service, four to six hours is, is not only not undoable, but it brings you to the other caveat I said, which my teacher told me when I asked him, how many times a day do you train? And what did he answer? 24 hours. 24 hours. Well, now you know how he did it. Okay. If you have to... I don't even want to say that. That's how you do the art. That's how you do the art. Otherwise, it's not going to do it. It's not going to work. So that end of podcast for that guy who can't take any more of the deep dive. He could have stopped at four to six hours. Boop, got it. Okay. Now he could stop now. If you're not doing that, you're not getting it. Good. End of podcast. Okay, but for those who want to understand more how this works, we will continue. The 24 hours in my mind is that broader thing. The four to six hours, I really do say you're physically 
doing things four to six hours. And if you have to, you can drop down three. You know what I mean? You can skip a day here or there. But you'll also go over sometimes. You're a five at six here or there. So again, at um, 56 and full-time job, I can still eke out four hours of training. It's, it's easy. So you have the morning, I have my morning workout before work, and then I come here, and we're doing body conditioning, then the body art class, and then there's like a weapons too often. Sometimes I come to the kids class, that's another five hours there, right? Sometimes weapons two goes over, sometimes, well now that I'm currently in our training bureau in my uh, law enforcement agency, Sometimes it's like four to six hours of martial training there, right? Which is now usually most of the time. We get about a week or two where that's not the case every three months. But otherwise, we're doing something martial physically. Okay, and that's, you see, so now you're doing way more. And that's where I try to keep myself even at this age. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you get injured. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes uh, you just can't take anymore. Those days off are entirely different from the person that's doing four hours a week and is missing a day that week or two that week or all that week. Do you understand? So just to, for you to understand this mathematically, I'll, I want you to take, and we've done this before, and it's always shocking to the conscious, so we're going to do it again, okay? Um, you're going to do four hours a week. How much volume is that? How many hours is that per year? We're gonna, you can hum to yourself, listener. Okay, 1,456. We're getting a dispute here with our mathematicians. Yeah, four hours a week. Yeah, four hours a week. Was that four hours a day? Okay, good. We want that figure too. Okay, so four hours a day for the year is 1,456 hours. Okay, now let's do four hours a week for the year. 208. Okay, 208. 208 hours for that person. Now if we go, remember your, your, your productivity or your results is volume related, okay? So I don't know, how many times more volume is that? So you have seven times the volume. Now, now um, the conventional wisdom is that you're, you really start getting into the ballpark for real in about 10 years. Okay? So let's, let's do 10 years and, and see the volume for both of these. What is it? I just add the zero? Okay, so the volume change over the decade goes for the person training four hours a day 
over 10 years, they'll have 14,560 hours, and the person that was doing four hours a week is only 2,000 hours, which that other person almost completed in their first year of training. So that, that person that's training at my volume levels almost completed what someone else did for, in 10 years. They did it in a year, okay? So at that level, let's say, for example, um, you're in your sport and you want to win. Your coach is going to laugh at you <laughs> when you're like, I only want to do uh, 10 years of work <laughs> what another athlete did in one year of work. The coach is going to please leave me. Please leave. Go away. Okay? And we saw that. I, I, I remember you've known this, this position for a long time, and, and I thought it was interesting in Chadi's video where he had that uh, world coach telling him. And you could see the shock on Chadi's face, like, oh, what the heck? I got a girlfriend, and I got a, I got a religion, you know? It's like, and the coach just was like, you could, I've seen this a million times, and I've been in this position a million times. The coach already pulled out. Right, But in his head, he's thinking, man, this is your girlfriend, and this is your religion. Go away. Got it? A long time ago, one of the first books on Budo I, I read was by uh, Dave Lowry. Um, and he, he had this thing where uh, somebody had come in to the dojo. And I, don't, I can't quote it verbatim, but this is the gist. And it was all like, oh, my wife, uh, my wife won't let me commit to this. And the teacher goes like, get a new wife. Okay. <laughs> That's how this works. Okay. Uh, early on in my own training and my own teaching and the formation of this dojo, we have a more established culture. Uh, and so a new person um, feels social pressure to train more then they might want to without anyone telling them that, do you see? But when we first started as a dojo and we're pulling from that demographic that doesn't understand this, uh, they have a kind of group support because nobody's doing what you guys are doing nowadays, do you see? Does that make sense? And so the group, the group support is telling them, no, no, four hours a week is great. It doesn't matter what the teacher's telling them. Do you see? Because but so here now at this state in the dojo where most of you are doing daily training, the person who shows up here or there feels like uh, they never feel that included. Do you get because the culture is different? It's no different than if we were all speaking, you know, uh, Klingon, and they came in with English. They would feel like oh, you guys are nice. No one's killing me, but I really don't feel like I'm part. There's this cultural thing that's going on, okay? Uh, so you, you, Deshi, that still feel outside? Yeah, you're outside because you're doing your own thing, okay? But at that time, they had that group support, and, and it was funny because this was years later after I read that story from Dave Lowry. And there was a guy... And he was constantly missing class. And, you know, we have to give the courtesy protocol. So that brings awareness to your lack of commitment to the training. Uh, and he, him and his wife wanted to have a baby. So he would say, uh, 
Sensei, I have to miss class because my, my, my wife and I have to have a baby. You know, because like, sometimes you have to time, you have to time it, right, uh, when, when your wife is fertile. Uh, but it's like, dude, can't you do that anytime? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or even better, like, you're a new couple. Like, I would be thinking the other way. Like, you know, more like that's the norm. That's actually what I'm doing most of the day. And I take an hour break. <laughs> to come work out, it's like, you should send the CP to your wife, you know? Like, honey, we're not, we're not gonna do it now because I'm gonna go spend some time at the dojo, I'll be back. If you wanna stay there, go for it, you know? But do you see how crazy the, it, it is in terms of the volume and in terms of overall bringing depth to our practice and things like that? Okay, so like nutrition, and you start producing a volume at this level, okay, it's not going to just impact your fitness. And as a result, it's, you can't just solve for this by being fit, okay? And this is, this is where we're going to come back to, to you all and the other larger practices, okay? Um, let's point out a couple social facts as well. If you belong to a dojo and culturally everyone trains three to four hours a week, if you want to see how this is more than just a fitness thing, that it'll affect things socially, culturally, all you have to do is start training every single day and you will become a pariah in that dojo. Why? If it's just about fitness, because it's not just about fitness, okay? You will go on to subvert the hierarchy. You will go on to subvert the discourse that supports the hierarchy. You will go on to subvert rank. You will go on to subvert title. And all you did was train more than what they're training at. That's all you did. Another pointer. In order to train four to six hours a day, you have to be strong. Because you have to be able to endure that much of a physical commitment. Strength, socially, today, is also not its own kind of isolated thing. Strength is now a disruption to our current ethnocentricity. This is why you see a social breakdown between, especially in men, men who are strong and men who are not strong. They don't even make clothes for men who are strong now. So you, you do squats every day 
or twice a day and you go and all they got for you is skinny jeans. You can't even get them up over your ass. It's like, you can't. And they're choking you out at the, at the, you can laugh, it's funny, it's hilarious, right? It's choking you out at the, uh, at the ankles, right? And even psychologically, let's say you were able to get them on, you look in the mirror and you go, what the F do I look like? Right? But if you want to participate or you want to go and uh, dress nice somewhere or you want a member of, the, uh, of your sexual partner pool to consider you to be nice looking, you got to wear the skinny jeans, the skinny pants. Because otherwise you don't, you don't look like you're fashionable, that you're in with the in crowd, do you see? Just an interesting fact here. Um, the way the consumerism of today is drawn is it takes advantage of market populations. Um, and they're not out to produce the, the best product at all. They're out to produce a tar- uh, something that a targeted population of a, of a large enough size is likely to consume. This is what's going on in Hollywood right now, okay? And uh, how do you know which are the largest target populations? Well, they do things like, um, for example, why is Lord of the Rings being uh, remade by Amazon? Because there's already a large fan base. So you're better off making a Lord of the Rings reboot than your own initial fantasy thing. Do you see that? You're going to get all these diehard Lord of the Rings fans, you know, they've been reading it since they were kids. Um, they just love it. I used to do that, you know. When I was a boy, I, I, I just lived in Tolkien's world. I would put my my hoodie on, and so I had my, my elvish hood, you know, my cloak, and I never walked on the sidewalks uh, or the paved road, I would always find the, the, the bushes and the tree paths, and I'd walk through there, and I'd have my feet be as silent as an elf's foot, you know, because he described it in the book, and it was just so amazing that these elves snuck up on these, these you know, killer human warriors, you know. And if you watch the, uh, the Peter Jackson movie, uh, when the fellowship is walking through the snowy mountains, you see that Legolas is not sinking down in the snow. It's, and only a fan goes, yes, he, it's in the film, and you're like so happy, right? Yes, you see how badass those elves are. Uh, whereas a non-fan is like you're going, you don't even notice it. You didn't notice it. You probably were looking at at, at uh, Aragorn and, and Gimli struggling in the snow, and you didn't see Legolas going like, what's wrong with you guys? You know, that kind of thing. Or another clip where uh, in, in the second movie, they're chasing down 
they're trying to get Marion Pippin. And uh, Aragon, who is a tracker, do you see? And he's following the track and he asks Legolas, what do you see? Because the elves see further than humans. And he, he can see it, do you see? He refers to that kind of thing. And again, all the diehard fans go, yes, yes, it's so badass, right? So the movie producers know that, right? And so they're like, Let's go. Let's not take a chance. Let's get the fan base that's already there and make a movie for them. And this is uh, this is new because um, social media has made it possible. Do you see all those fan bases? They've they're they hooked up through social media, and people are now can know how big is that group. So, for example. Um, I share a lot of our posts in the Aikido Facebook group. Well, it tells you how many members are in that group, do you see? Um, well, how did we get here? I lost that train of thought. Ah, oh, the skinny jeans. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here you are now in law enforcement. You have, you have people who make clothes for law enforcement. And a premier company is 5.11. Okay? And the clothes originally came out of mountain uh, rock climbing. Okay? And, uh, and someone knows, let me know. Uh, the, the climbs are rated, and I guess a 5.10 is the highest rating and then a 511 is kind of a a, sh a colloquial share term for it's off the charts it's it's off difficulty charts do you get it and that the company adopted that name and uh they started seeing a lot of law enforcement officers purchasing those clothing that clothing for example uh cool another kind of clothing company um, a lot of cops will buy cool clothing for off-duty because uh, another hiking kind of pant uh, because it's very comfortable but it doesn't look like you're a cop and so they try to follow the strategy of secrecy and ambush so if you're carrying concealed, it's best not to look like a cop or a soldier or something like that. And so they will buy cool clothing um, a lot. So I'll go to the, you know to this day, I'll go to uh, training, firearms training, and about half the class is wearing 511 and other half's wearing cool. Okay, um, you, you just see it all the time. Okay, so 5'11", the original pants that cops were wearing, even to this day, still has this cord where uh, rock climbers would put their carabiners on. And so cops always go, well, like, what's that cord for? And they don't know the history. And I hate this cord. Well, that's where you would hook your carabine attachments, okay? Well, 5.11 is getting wind, or they're trying to get wind, of what's the target audience, right? And all of a sudden, they started producing a skinny jean pant, okay? And again, demographically, uh, cops would work out. Cops would be strong, right? And they're probably not going to fit in those skinny jeans. And there was a huge uproar from that demographic. Like, hey, we can't even wear your pants anymore. And even if I could, I wouldn't want to. Because socially, it's a different person. 
Do you understand that? So in the same way that if you trained every day, you would upset the social system of your dojo. If you got yourself strong, you would upset the social system of the average dojo. You would. Well, that potentiality to do that means that you're going to upset your current social system. Your, your current experience of your current world is going to be upset by trying to gain this training requirement. You're not going to be able to binge watch Netflix because you're going to be really tired and you have to sleep. And you're not going to be able to do the impromptu, oh, my friends are going out. Let's go because you got training to do. Do you see that? And so you're going to have friends who don't understand. And they're not going to be your friends now. Just like get a new wife, you're going to get new friends. And guess what? In order to do that, you're going to have to redefine what a friend is. You see, at every level of your being, it starts to impact your life. And in that sense, it is actually connecting you back to those hundreds of years of human development and human training in a body-mind-spirit praxis. Meaning, you can't have any part of you that remains the same. There's no point to the praxis then. So to do that morning workout, for example, it takes a lot of other readjusting of my life in order to do that. Because I have to do it, at, I gotta wake up, you know. I'm, when, what time do we leave here if we do weapons too? Like nine something, right? And then I got to wake up at five. Somewhere in there I'm supposed to eat. Okay. Uh, and then I have to keep doing that. Well, I'm going to have to hurry up and eat. And hurry up and get in bed. Well, that's very limiting on what all else I can do. Do you know? And if I start eating like crap. I'm probably going to affect my sleep hygiene. And then I'm not going to get the rest. And then I'm in that downward spiral. So even now, my nutrition as one of the four disciplines has to be modified in order to keep up that lifestyle. And again, as I said, you see concentrically, every single aspect of our beingness is impacted by just taking on this so-called physical requirement. It'll be very subtle how it, how it takes place. So for example, we have some things, we, we've been talking a lot about correcting our form, our physical forms in our, in our weightlifting, let's take that, or our physical forms uh, in our kihon waza, okay? If you still do Kihon Waza, and some of you do, through contestation, 
and through, you know, through yang-yang conflicts, you're going to need more recovery time. Do you get it? Because you're, you're suffering more in that one hour of training than the other person who's just constantly yielding, reconciling yang energy and moving into empty space. It, it would be like, you know, somebody who's, who is doing, I don't know, let's say the bar only bench press, so 45 pounds, versus you who's, you know, putting on 200 pounds on that bar, you're going to need more recovery time. Do, do you see that? That person can do that all day, do it all week. They don't need the same amount of recovery time. So, Part of the reason why you keep pushing and yonging and all that kind of bullshit is because you have adjusted your life to allow for that way of doing the training. You have adjusted, you're not doing four to six hours a day, and so you could use the rest of the day to recover from that bullshit technique. The reason at 56 that I can keep that going is I don't try as hard as you guys try. You guys try way harder than I do on the mat. Here's the thing, going back to the why the age. When you're younger... You can get away with some of these deviations from these prescriptions for the four disciplines. You don't really get away with it. And not everyone does. So you will have an 18-year-old who can kind of, looks like they're okay, but you'll have another 18-year-old and they're just getting eaten alive by not having this, Okay. What I have seen is I've been training people coming up now on four decades of training people in, in martial arts, okay? That's not training people. That the age of people who are not getting away with it is younger and younger. It's now in the teens. It used to be in the upper 20s. So someone could, you know, do four hours of sleep, uh, you know, not my, you see, at my age, it'll require discipline, eat, go to sleep, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then repeat, because there's no room. Any deviation from that, I'm not waking up the next morning, okay? Or if I do, about day three, there's an illness or an injury, or I need a day off, do you see? And the volume goes down. In your 20s, a while ago, maybe as recent as 15, 20 years ago, you could do it. You could do four hours of sleep, do your workout, and then make up somewhere in there, get some naps in, you could go. But I'm not seeing that anymore. I'm seeing teens who are already suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually, from not doing things this way. Not just at the level of skill acquisition, but as I said, it's concentrically cultivating 
even at the levels of hormonal composition. So boys will have breasts and hips, no bone density, no muscle. Teens will have ghost pains. They will have a psychological frailty to them because it's all related because it's a, my, a mind-body praxis. Because it's all concentrically related. Which is what for hundreds of years up till now, human beings have all accepted. It's only recently we started saying, no, 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 no. It's okay, boy, that you have breasts and you're not strong. Here are some skinny jeans. You're going to be fine. Whereas past generations would have said something like, if you can fit in these, like let's imagine they had their, their assessment tool, like a doctor has a, a, a blood pressure cuff. They designed some pants and they said, hey, uh, boy, tribal boy in our tribe, we're going to see if you fit in these pants because this will let us know if you're well or not and how we need to treat you. Damn, you do fit in these pants. Come on. Let's start fixing this. Because this is going to set you up. Hormonally, it's going to set you up. Socially, culturally, it's going to set you up. Psychologically, it's going to set you up. All right. As you get older, you're kind of prehistoric tribal gene assessment tool is, again, your ability to do these practices at this level. This, this is, again, where the age comes in. If I can do it at 56, you can do it at 30. You can do it at 40. That is not an excuse. And you certainly as hell can do it at 20s and at 13. So, you know, my two sons are here, and I, I constantly, sooner or later, I jab at them. Man, I can't believe you let this old man smoke you. And then I pretend I'm Tristan's voice. Get out of my face, old man. So something you could get away with in your 20s, for example, might be the nutrition, the discipline of the, of the nutrition. If you're not mindful, what is going to happen is you're going to start getting visceral fat, and that's going to be, uh, if you're male, it is going to be around your uh, midsection level. And it's going to require a higher strength output for you to maintain a functional or operational fitness. Meaning, you eat X way in your 20s, you continue to eat X way in your 30s, you're going to put on more weight, 
and you will not be able to do the same amount of pull-ups, for example, if you did not increase your strength capacity. It goes beyond that. Because what will happen is you will start to have a stomach and that is going to jack up your postural geometry. And that's why like in the 30s, you'll start going, oh, my back. Well, you're carrying basically a giant fanny pack all day long on the front of your body. What did you expect to happen? So if you ever have a backpack, right, and you, you know, let's say you were hiking and you had the backpack, you know that feeling when you go, ah, oh, when you took it off? Okay, why did it feel good? Because the backpack did not feel good. Well, that gut on the front of your body, it does not feel good. So requiring of yourself this four to six hours a day, do you see, may, is going to make you have to make a problem out of nutrition. Where before it was all like, no, I'm a foodie. I'm a foodie, right? Nobody, let's be clear here, nobody is a foodie with the, uh, the uh, past centuries idea of food as it is related to spiritual practices, do you understand that when you look at foodie pictures, it's always high calorie, high carb kind of stuff. Do you see? That's why we can use this generically. So you want to get rid of that back pain, you're going to have to be more disciplined with other disciplines. Some of you, as you're aging, you're seeing the mobility come into play. Well, like we have injuries that will not go away. And this is where worldview is going to come in for those of you that are doing that. The discipline of worldview. You are constantly in a state of contestation. You are constantly stressing, for example, your person, your being. And as we said, why is it six hours? Because stressing beyond six hours leads to a diminishing return do you see? In the shape of injury, illness, lower volume, that kind of stuff. Do you see? Well, here you are with the worldview, the incorrect worldview. You've been like, fuck it, I don't really care about non-contestation. Let's just take that one. Well, but now you're see, now you're 30 or 40 or nearing your 50s. Well, that means you're constantly practicing contestation. So you're constantly in the stressor mode, and now you're seeing the diminishing return. And now your volume goes down. You cannot do what others can do, like a 56-year-old guy. And as I said, 
Why does it appear to be working? Because you, you had adapted by departing from the four to six hours a day to give you the extra recovery time for the extra stressing you're doing on your being. This will not only show up in injuries that are not working for you, they're not healing, or that you can't participate in this class or the whole of this class. This will also show up in terms of like the sleep, all the sleep CPs. You cannot believe how many sleep CPs I get. You know, courtesy protocol. Sensei, I did not sleep well last night. Jesus Christ. That's a sign. You're doing it wrong. Again, here or there is one thing, but on some of you, it's regular. Like here or there to me is not regularly monthly. Okay, let alone weekly. Something's wrong. You're doing it wrong. Like that Mr. Mom movie. Michael Keaton is going in the school parking lot the wrong way. (laughs) Everyone's honking at him and telling him, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Here, I'm honking at you. You're doing it wrong. Same thing goes with your your pains. Your, how, why? Because this is a practice in the reconciliation of fear, in the practice of service over self, up to including your death. So, of course, it would include your injury. And so, of course, it would include your pain. I attended the uh, Law Enforcement Academy graduation on Friday. The representative of a representer. Representative? What's the word, Margaret? Representative of my agency. So I had to wear the, the department's, you know, tuxedo equivalent. So it, it, it becomes special, do you see? I put on all my medals. I got my ceremonial firearm. I put, you know, God's gun on there, my 1911, which I would never wear on duty, do you see? That's not... It's America's gun, but it's not, it's not a good law enforcement weapon. But for ceremony, it's good, you see. It takes like an hour to put all your medals on your uniform. You see, it's a big deal. And I go there, and it was difficult. It was difficult. The sea of emotions. Again, I'm tired because how much training I'm doing. And it was the end of the week. So maybe I'm a little more primed for emotional uprisings. 
when I'm watching all these, they're, they're kids to me now. They're in their 20s. I hate, I hate to say they're kids, but they're kids. They're so polished. They're so beautiful. Their bodies, their hair, their equipment. And at the graduation, it's all about the ideals of the profession. So it includes this service over self and sacrifice. Again, if you listen to Aikido demographic media, cops are out there wanting to kill people, which is total BS. It's people who have decided to make a profession out of sacrifice up to and including their own death. So that is, is being repeated, do you see, in the ceremony with speakers and uh, videos and things like that. And it was something about their beauty that struck a chord with me. Very much like how the Buddha, after his parents threw that orgy party to try to keep him as their prince and the heir to the kingdom, and he wakes up the next morning and he sees these once beautiful men and women now with pools of vomit around them and passed out and matted hair, do you see? So there I am, I'm looking at these beautiful kids talking and repeating the ideals of the profession. But there was something about you just don't know. You just don't know. Like as beautiful as the ideals were, there was an innocence that made it sad and tragic. You just, you just don't know the toll of living a life of sacrifice up to and including your own death on a daily basis. You don't understand the toll that it has on even that beautiful hair you have or that beautiful polished equipment. how pristine your uniform is, let alone your family, on your children, even on your pets, obviously your spouse. And then even deeper, on, in your own soul and your own mind, you just have no idea And that was tragic. Like you, you, you wanted to cheer them on, but you also kind of wanted to hold them back. 
Well, these four to six hours of training in this way are going to touch on that in ways that four or three hours per week do not and cannot. And one of those ways is pain. You're going to experience pain. And that is important because right now your demographic is a demographic that seeks pleasure, which means, by which we mean the absence of pain. Culturally, pain to you is a marker that you're doing it wrong and that therefore you should stop doing it. But again, in the way that previous generations made a problem out of food, previous generations made a problem out of pain. And pain, like food, was a tool that was inserted like a cog in an engine in this technology of self. A very simple way. You traditionally would do an exercise to such a degree, and obviously incorrectly as a beginner, that you generate pain. And the masters would have you continue. And that pain would tell you, not like that, and now you would do something else and you would find correct form. So a common one would be like Shoman Sabuti. You swing the sword incorrectly because you do not swing it enough. If you swing it enough, you will, in, your incorrect form will eventually injure you. And the only way to get the sword up now is without that path that injured you. But what do we do instead is, oh, I'm injured, I, I should take some time off and not. And that goes back to, do you see, your volume is allowing you to not change. But when you make this volume requirement, you will discover the right way. You will. Instead of this slow breaking down of your body as you're aging and never acquiring the skill nonetheless. You might go, I don't have the time. Well, again, do you see? You don't have the time for the current life you're living now and you want to continue to live it that way. That's why. It's no different from somebody who goes like, I really like Validus Sensei, but I can't go there. It's too far. Right? This is kind of ridiculous. None of my teachers ever lived close to me. So my karate teacher was 12 hours away. My Aikido teacher was four hours away. 
My other Aikido teacher was an hour away with traffic, so it wasn't an hour. You go where you need to go because you do what you need to do. That is the way. So uh, if you read on the, old, on the old writings on the website, eventually you'll come to one that says something like this. When I started, I had already done my sport, and then I went into martial arts, and so I already knew the four to six hour requirement. So I upset the dojo I was at. That's how I know you would upset it. Okay. And I upset it in the way that I upset it. Well, you're kind of a, a, a social anomaly to them, and they need to reify their world. So they find ways of dismissing you. So they'll go like, well, you're, you're, uh, you're in college. You have all the time in the world. Yeah, as an undergraduate, I did train four to six hours a day. And someone was always a graduate student, well, see, you're an undergraduate. You can't do that as a graduate student. Oh, and then I became a graduate student, and I still train four to six hours a day. And then the single graduate student said, well, you know, you're, you're not married, and that's why you can... Oh, then I got married, and I trained four to six hours a day. And then the married graduate student said, well, you don't have kids, and then I had a kid. And I still did it. And you don't have two kids. And I did have two kids. And I still did it. And you don't have three kids. Oh, you don't have three kids. I have three kids. And I'm still doing it. Well, you don't really have a job. And then I got a job. And then I'm doing it. You don't really do shift work. Oh, I am doing shift work now. And I'm still doing it. Well, you're, you're in your 30s, and then I was in my 30s, and I still did. You're in your 40s, now I'm in my 50s, and I'm still doing it. I imagine there's some 60-year-olds now listening who go, but you're in your 50s. Do you see how that's how the ego reifies itself? It's not that. It's not an innate natural ability or the luck of circumstances that allows you to do this. It is discipline. It is sacrifice. It is not free will, but free won't. I won't go out and do this with my friends out of the... And I won't have friends like that. And so on, and so on, and so on. But inversely, it is the requirement that is a natural requirement. Remember, that's how we started. It is a natural requirement of skill development four to six hours. Inversely, this natural requirement is also this psychological Cultivation, this spiritual cultivation, this disciplinary cultivation. It is the way. And when you don't put it there in that light, the results that you gain from it concentrically across your being 
are not yours to have. You have the results of its absence. You have none of the three marks of Aikido. You have ghost pains. You have no skill at Kihonwaza. You have injuries that will not go away. You have deterioration physicality as you age. And all the things we've discussed up to this point. So yes, I do mean four to six hours. Yes! But I mean it in this way. Which is a greater requirement, do you see? You will try it at first as a young person especially. You'll go, I'm going to do this. And you'll, you, at first you realize, no, 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 it's not, it's not really about scheduling. Not at all. And you'll remember what I just said. It's not about scheduling. It's about being. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.